Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Brian Deere will join us to discuss the Play-Doh system. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, long before Facebook and Twitter, there existed the Plato system. The Plato community pioneered what we now collectively call the cyberculture, probably the first to identify and realize the potential and scope of the social interconnectivity of computers well before the creation of the internet. Well, joining us today to discuss this uh, topic is Mr. Brian Deere. He's the author of the new book, The Friendly Orange Glow The Untold Story of the Plato System and the Dawn of Cyberculture. Mr. Deere is a longtime startup tech entrepreneur and founder of companies including Coconut Computing. Flatwork, Eventful, and Nettle. Yeah, he's worked in a variety of dot-com companies, including MP3 and eBay, and uh, also in education computing, in- including five of the Plato systems. Written for numerous journals on the topic, Educational Technology, Byte, IEEE Expert. And again, his new book is called The Friendly Orange Glow. And Mr. Deere, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grox Science Show. Glad to be here. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a, a fascinating uh, story you've written here. I think one that really, as, as you put in the subtitle, really hasn't been told regarding uh, that of the Plato system. I, I'm curious if you could tell us how you became interested in the subject and decided to write a book about it. Well, I mean, the, the main motivator was the fact that there has never been a book or a magazine article, a documentary. Basically, there's been no media mention of Plato ever, um, in any substantial way. Sure, once in a while they may mention the name, but it's probably the only major computer project that was funded by the government, um, millions of dollars in the 60s, 70s, 80s, that never got any mainstream attention. And over the years, it sort of drifted in into the dustbins of history. The reason I got interested in it is because uh, random chance I discovered that during the first week of freshman year when I entered college in 1979, at the University of Delaware, they had Plato terminals all over campus. And these things were like so futuristic, you wouldn't believe it. They were flat panel gas plasma displays, touchscreen built in, all the graphics and everything were orange. The pixels on the screen were orange. So that's where the the glow comes from. And that's a term, by the way, that everyone used. You know, everyone described Plato displays as the friendly orange glow. And I just became fascinated with it. I worked on the system for about five years, and all through the rest of time, I've been just incredibly frustrated that nobody ever came out with a book. There have been wonderful books about the history of Apple and Microsoft and Xerox Park, where so many innovations like the, you know, the mouse and windowing and icons and everything came from that so inspired Steve Jobs to do the Macintosh. You know, there's tons of books on the whole popular history of computing. And yet, even in the last couple of years, if you crack open any major popular book 
on the history of computing, and there have been a bunch that have sold tons. You go to the index, you look under the letter P, and there's not a single mention of Plato. And so it has been just ignored by history, and that really kept me motivated over the over years of doing research to do the book and finish it and get it out there and get Plato into the conversation. For those who don't know, again, since it hasn't been well covered, what was the Plato system? Sure. Well, the Plato system is an acronym that stands for Programmed Logic for Automatic Teaching Operations. And it was started in 1960 at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. And the, the, the purpose of the system was to explore whether it was possible to use a computer to teach students pretty much any academic subject you can imagine, anything from, you know, anthropology to zoology or math and science or foreign languages or anything. And as you can imagine, in 1960, computers were incredibly primitive, and they had to basically invent everything as they went along. By the 70s, Plato had become a pretty major system running on a multi-million dollar supercomputer at the University of Illinois. And what really intrigued me, and I felt that it was really important to do the book, was the fact that the mission, while it was always about education, the really cool part of Plato was the fact that basically the kids took over the system in the 70s and transformed it into a thriving online community with basically every kind of functionality that we all take for granted today. By 1973-74, Plato had very sophisticated chat rooms, instant messaging, email, message forums, incredible uh, multiplayer games, an online newspaper, and it was basically the real deal. I mean, it was uh, people started getting addicted to the system, do anything to get online and check out, you know, what their friends were doing and that kind of thing. And um, I kind of argue in this book that Plato, interestingly, ushered in what I would argue is the interpersonal computer revolution before the personal computer revolution ever happened. And we've always thought that the way things worked is Apple came out and then IBM came out with a PC and these personal computers were fairly primitive. And then across the 80s, they started getting networked. And then we got the internet and then everybody got online with AOL or the internet or the web and things started to take off and get social from there. Whereas uh, what this book shows is that on Plato, Things were social starting in, like, 1973, and the reason you would, like, run and uh, to get onto a Plato terminal was to hang out with all your friends and to talk to people and collaborate and communicate just like we do today. So it's a really interesting new insight into the, the whole history of computing that is really going to change how we think about it. Sounds like it was pretty much precursor for the, the social web that, that exists today. Absolutely, and... and the way things always evolve on the web is somebody comes up with an idea for a, a startup or a new app, an app or something, and almost invariably it's inspired by an app that existed prior or a website, a web service that existed prior. For example, you know, Facebook would never have existed if we had not all gone through MySpace first and Friendster before that. And if you look at Google, Google is essentially a reaction to AltaVista and InfoSeq and Lycos and all the great search engines of the 90s. And, and that's the way it typically goes. Services pop up as a reaction to 
and as a way to improve and build upon that which came before. But with Plato, nothing came before. They, they literally basically were inventing all this stuff from scratch just because they could and just because it was cool. And a lot of the people that built these, the, all that social kind of interaction functionality were teenagers. I mean, it was, they were literally wandering into the laboratory at the University of Illinois from random high schools around town because they had heard there's this really cool thing. And they just started going to town building all of these capabilities that were way beyond the mission of education. And they were so good that they became features of the system and things went on from there. But yeah, it, it, it really is interesting how it predates so much of what we take for granted that started happening in the 90s and beyond. Did this aspect of it uh, influence uh, those people who eventually uh, develop things that now exist? Well, you know, that's interesting because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg wasn't born until the 1980s, and the two founders of Google were in diapers around the time that all this stuff was starting to take off on Plato around 73. So, you know, they, they had no direct awareness of, and I suspect even to this day, they might not even know about Plato. Uh, again, because there's never been any books about it. It's not part of the conversation when you talk to folks in Silicon Valley. I hope that changes soon. But um, I suspect that, you know, what I argue in the book is that if you put together enough tools and capabilities in the underlying system, or like what we call today a platform, especially tools that enable people to build apps that uh, let users communicate with other users who are online too. Then um, what happens, it's almost inevitable. It's like human nature. You know, the hacker community, these high schoolers and and undergraduates were, um, are going to go to town and they're going to build stuff that lets people yak, basically, talk and chat and flirt online and all the rest of it that we know about today. And so that's what happened on Plato. And I think as the ensuing generations came in the you know uh, subsequent decades, uh, more people would discover computers and the net and all that stuff and have the same reaction like, gosh, let's build something that's really, really cool. And Plato is, is historically significant because it happened so early. And it's given the sheer number of social computing things that happened on the system so early that where there were no real precursors that were used at a very large scale, thousands or tens of thousands of people, that's where it's really uh, significant. And whether I suspect, you know, most of the things still evolved independent of Plato, just as I said before, because it's pretty much inevitable that when everybody has a computer or a phone and there's ways to build applications that let people talk to each other, then those applications just literally appear. They just, they, they're, they're inevitable because it's just too convenient and fun and interesting and compelling, and it has become what we all take for granted now. Given that this was such a seminal advance, I guess, in social computing, why has it been ignored or just lost in the uh, the dustbin of history, as you put it? Right, and I think I, there's a number of factors. I mean, the, the first one is very simple, just sheer economics. The mainframe supercomputer that ran Plato at the University of Illinois was a multi-million dollar control data cyber computer, okay? So certainly not going to be in anybody's home. The terminals that were connected to it were each many thousands of dollars. Today, in 2017 dollars, they probably cost about 25000 each. 
Yes, they had flat panel displays built in, which was unheard of at the time. Uh, they were unique to Plato. Um, that technology was a fundamental patent, and it was the same patent that led to flat panel wall televisions many people have now, uh, the plasma televisions. It's the same invention. So cost was certainly a factor. Another interesting factor is that in the 70s and really the 80s, phone lines were insanely expensive. And to dial up, for example, with a computer or a terminal to connect to a remote system um, you know, phone companies charge you by the minute, and it wasn't cheap. You might spend hundreds of dollars per day on to connect. And so that really limited the adoption, too. So, And I think the other thing was that even, that even though all this social cool stuff was happening, the core mission of Plato was always education and to deliver interactive uh, instruction, instructional lessons um, that could be games, simulations, tutorials, you know, who knows what, um, to students in a academic setting, whether it's grade school, K through 12, or college, or even in industry as a training kind of thing. Whenever you say education or training, I think it sort of relegates that thing to a second-class level of interest uh, to the public, and certainly to the overall computer industry. It was never considered really mainstream because Oh, it's that education thing. Plato is really not something that, you know, plain folks could use. So um, that also, I think, contributed to the fact over the years that it never really had a chance to become mainstream the way something like, say, America Online or, or CompuServe or things like that did in the 80s and 90s. If anyone's interested in more of the history of it or where Plato ran and that kind of thing, where, where can they go? Well, uh, I'll give you a couple of sites. The official book site is friendlyorangeglow.com. So um, that has uh, just information about the book and about the, the book tour that I'm going to be on for the next 30 days or so, all, all during November, uh, reviews and, and some information about the book. There's a, a blog called platohistory.org, um, which, which uh, has lots of videos on it from uh, talks that have been given over the years about Plato and things like that. And I'd also recommend if anybody wants to see what Plato was like, it is actually possible because there is a live uh, Plato system on the Internet, and, it, and it's accessible through um, a website called CyberOne, that's C-Y-B-E-R, and then the numeral one, dot O-R-G. And you, you have to download some free software for Mac or Windows machines that lets you essentially emulate a Plato terminal from the 70s or 80s, and um, then you, you know you can create an account on there. It's all free, and sign on and and see exactly what Plato looked like. Many of the games and the something like 10,000 hours of educational lessons are all there, stored uh, kind of like as an online museum. And uh, there is an active community on there, and it's been around for about uh, 15 years or so, I think. Um, and uh, so, you know, th there is a way to actually see and experience what Plato was like, uh, even today. And it won't cost you $25,000 for a terminal, so <laughs> even better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, I do want to thank you again for your time. The new book, again, is called The Friendly Orange Glow, The Untold Story of the Plato System and the Dawn of Cyberculture, the author, uh, Mr. Brian Deere. And, uh, Mr. Deere, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.